Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So in South Africa, I don't know if there's an equivalent here in America, but there was a, a dog supplement, like a dog vitamin supplement called Bob Martin. And all the chicks used to take it because it makes their hair sort of lustrous and grows thicker. So, Cody, maybe we can import some Bob Martin for your beard. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's kind of, it's growing in fairly thick. Like, I'm not, I'm not upset with it for the first time in my life. Like, the last six months, I've been pretty proud of my beard game. But it doesn't, it just doesn't get any longer. I don't know. I don't really care. You know what I do like a confusing thing to me is I can't decide if I want to make fun of the way that you say vitamin or I want to start saying it that way. Like I, I don't, I think that I would like to, uh, I, I should, yes, Daryl showing us Bob Martin's available for Cody. I can't according hey, you can get it on Amazon. Well, I'll, hell yeah. I'll order some, um, and I'm going to start seeing vitamin for a while and see if that catches on and like people like it or they make fun of me. I'm going to bet that uh, I'll make fun of you. I think the former. 
say, say aluminum. Aluminium. Aluminium. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not styrofoam. Do you know what it's called, Daryl? Mm-mm. Polystyrene. So, yeah, that's just a whole different word. That's that's not a great example. Vitamin is spelled the same way as vitamin, right? Or you could, mm-hmm. you know, like theatra, you know, or whatnot. Theatra? What the hell's a theatra? theatra. <laughs> He's now talking about the different spellings. Theater. Mm. Theater. Well, look, it is the Queen's English. It is the base of all English languages. So I, I understand the, the jealousy. Yeah. We want to talk about jealousy. Look at this. That shit's out of control. Um, I know. I was about, yeah, don't, don't take any Bud Martin that you order, Daryl. That, um, those curls coming out from under the hat are quite incredible. Well, it's, it's pretty incredible underneath it, too, so... face and kind of bugs me a little bit but but i'm so just background so background for everyone carver you were in the you were in the marine corps for how long uh 25 years what is the marine corps haircut standards uh clean shaven daily and your hair needs to be zero to three inches tapered Gotcha. Gotcha. So for 25 years, I shaved every morning and every week I'd get a haircut. So, you know, it's new. I haven't had long hair since, you know, junior high and my sophomore year in high school. It almost is akin to South African high schools that we were in an old boys high school and your hair was not allowed to touch your ears and not allowed to touch your collar. And so all the obviously very short sort of haircuts that we had as boys. And as soon as we left high school, every single guy in South Africa pretty much grew out its hair. And so I had hair down to my armpit at one point. But the funny thing is, is a lot of them will go back to the military regs or some variation thereof because they are so used to it they don't they're not used to themselves looking you know with long hair so a lot of a lot of a lot of my peers and guys that i know you know they they always go back to some sort of short clean cut haircut with you know no no facial hair cody how's our um colorado agave sponsorship coming along um shittily like i have nothing nothing's happened I really think we need to lay it on the listeners. Like, I don't want to I, – I think we had a listener reach out to Peach Street Distillery in Palisades, Colorado. Very easy. You know. Peach Street. Peach Street Distillery. And let them know that this guy on this podcast that literally dozens of people listen to um, is talking – Multiple dozens. Multiple dozens. We're going to break a new uh, download record this month. I know it's freaking crazy. This podcast is going like crazy. We're going to approach 40,000 this month. 
<laughs> Clearly, it's because me coming off of the bench and, and jumping on right. every once in a while. Right, absolutely. 100%. Everyone's waiting every month for that, like, Carver episode to drop. You know, bated breath. Bench. That's exactly what they're all thinking. We get multiple text messages about it, but Cody refuses to like put it out on the air to yeah, you know, quell the big headedness that you may get. Right, right. That's what I. That's really been my role with Daryl for twenty eight years now. Is just trying to control that ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see it. And now that his, now that his hair's long, I've given up. I've just given up. So you're drinking the agave again this evening. Carver, you've got uh, some sort of brown liquid. Yeah, I'm drinking uh, Elijah Craig single batch. Elijah Craig, good good choice. I am going with a local brew. Um, It's a Chandler Brewing Company beer. Uh, A sour ale that is a raspberry ginger sour ale. Very good. And don't look at me like that, Carver. It's good. No, 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 look, that was not a look of, it's not a look of disgust or, you know, that a guy that I hold in high esteem is letting me down. That's not what it is. It, I, I, it's almost like when I go and, you know, stand at Starbucks at the airport and listen to some of the things that, you know, people are drinking. It's, I'm trying to process all of the ingredients and picture whether or not, because I, I like to cook, so I'm trying to figure out, okay, does that even sound good together? And that's what, that's what that look is. It's not. It's not disgust, I promise you. Have you ever seen the Paul Rudd meme? Paul Rudd's an actor. It, it's, it's a scene from a movie. I don't know the movie. I just see it in memes where he orders a large at Starbucks. Yes. And she says, you mean a venti? And he says, no, venti means 20. I mean a large. And by the end of it, he says, you fucked this up in three different languages. It's the greatest, like... <laughs> I've seen that meme a thousand times, and every time it comes across again, I watch it four or five times. It's like I would love to have, to have, like I wish it hadn't happened, and I just thought of it because I would go to Starbucks continuously until somebody corrected me when I ordered a large. It's one of the greatest things in the world. I'll bet you. I'm just taking a stab in the dark, but I'll bet you as you, when you go through your new employee training at Starbucks, they show you that video, right? Right. Just like, just like you know, anybody who goes through sales, you'll always get some sort of a point in their sales training where they show that scene in Glengarry Glen Ross with Alec Baldwin talking to you know all these old salesmen about you know closing coffee. Coffee's way. for closers. Coffee's for closers. Where the hell are you going? But that literally is that that like nine minutes is the only part of that movie that is actually worth watching. It's good though; it makes it a classic. It, it is good. Well, uh, Carver, welcome back to the the roundup. We like to have you every so often, as we've mentioned, bring you off the bench, bring your expertise to bear on various articles that are hitting the airwaves. Uh, we got back on a quite a good roundup streak last week thanks to cody not being present and dominating conversation for the entire hour aaron and i actually got back onto roundup and talking about articles and we worked our way steadily through four or five and 
we got kudos from a bunch of people saying, wow, thank you for going through all those articles. Cody, you feel okay about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. You can just keep dogging me. I was just going to read a text message that we also received complimenting it, but I'm no longer going to read it now. <laughs> no. Well, the best thing about it is that we share an account and I'll be able to read it. So, hello, Blood Origins. Tim here <laughs> sent yeah. us a text message on 620-860-4804. And uh, Tim said, great roundup with Aaron Merrill. Maine sounds similar to Saskatchewan minus the turkey. We allowed Sunday hunting not that long ago. I have a story about moose ticks, and I would agree that turkeys are a heck of a conservation success story. He went through all the different things that we talked about. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. All in a text message to us. Hey, I want to touch on something because, it would, you know, I, I, mo I monitor and, and sometimes deal with the uh, Instagram, uh, Blood Origins Instagram account, and you were in the middle – of a, we, we won't bring this person up. It doesn't matter who they were, but a person was kind of coming at you with wanting Sunday hunting in Maine, I believe, or they didn't have right. And and you gave what was your response to that? Because I'm admitting right now that I it changed my uh, like, you know, but I I can, I can be bitter. Right. Like I can get pissed off about things. And I think not being able to hunt on Sundays at no point did I ever think I'd heard a valid argument about it. And I don't want I don't need this to go anymore to your doctor ego, blah, blah, blah. But I, I thought you had it. Your response to it made me think about it a little bit. And I don't want to fuck it up. So what was it? Yeah, so actually Aaron Merrill changed my mind about it. So I will be completely transparent in that. Howl for Wildlife that we all know about, uh, sending emails to legislators about certain legislative actions. I submitted an email through them in favor of them opening Sunday hunting without actually doing the research, which is unlike me. And um, once I talked to Erin, I realized why this piece of legislation in Maine is going to die. And it did die. And according to Aaron, has come up 30 times in the last 40 years and has died every single time. And here is the reason. In Maine, you can hunt any piece of ground if it is not posted without permission. Any private ground, if it's not posted, you can walk on it and you can hunt it. You don't have to get permission. The only day of the week that you are not allowed to hunt is Sunday. And the reason they have Sunday the way it is, is that private landowners realize and want a single day to themselves that they can be on their property and know that there are no hunters on their property. So the pushback here was, if we allow Sunday hunting, well, that's not what we want as a private landowners, so we're going to institute what they term as reverse posting, i.e., we're just going to post our properties now, i.e., you don't get to hunt it at all any longer, no days of the week. And so there was a small provision in the law, in the legislative, that was saying, well, if, if you do hunt on a Sunday, you have to get permission from the landowner. That didn't even fly. So that's the that's the that's the scenario. So it's a give and take. Okay, you're not going to get to hunt Sundays. Okay, I'm okay with that now because 
of the massive opportunity that is in Maine to hunt, period. I think yeah, that could be taken away. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest and transparent that that was a way I'd never thought of it. And if I was a private landowner in Maine, I would, I would, uh, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I would post my shit and not let other people hunt it. But, but I, I it made me, it made me think about it in a really different way. The thing that's always bothered me about states that don't have Sunday hunting is there is a shitload of people that that's literally 50% of their available hunting time. Um, that's, Agreed. that's the part that's really bothered me. Um, and I know that, that a lot of it is rooted in someone thinking that you should be in church instead of hunting, right? Like that's the root of the no Sunday hunting thing. Um, and even right. if it, as a Christian guy, I don't think that the go- that's the government's place to get involved in something like that. But, but um, I, I, I don't know. I just it made me. I, I read through that exchange, um, and it really made me think that there's more to this. I, I was oversimplifying the issue, at least in the state of Maine. Now, it's totally different in a state where you know you're required to get permission on any public ground and that, that entire argument falls apart, but that's a, uh, that's a solid, it's a solid deal. All right. I'm going to jump in on this and I'm, and, and so I listened to the roundup with you and Aaron, right? I was at, as a matter of fact, when this specific thing came up and she gave her reason for not supporting a Sunday hunt, Right. And, and let me let me preface by saying it doesn't matter to me, I'm, you know, either way. But I did do a little bit of looking into this. OK. And and I do I do agree that as if I was a Mainer. Right. And I don't know if that's the correct verbiage of it. But if I lived in Maine. I would be willing to lose my Sunday hunting in order to hunt private land. That's a that's a no brainer, right? Just based on the hunting laws, and you know, when it comes to private property versus public property, I totally understand, and I would, and I'm jumping on that bandwagon, and I don't want hunting in 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 Maine on Sunday. Okay, now Cody pointed out a very key point to this, right? So, and and you know, Robbie, you've got two young boys, and you got a job, a day job, right? So you're going to work Monday through Friday. Saturday here in a couple of years, if they're not already, your boys are going to be playing ball or, you know, whatever. So Saturday is going to be taken up also. So the only day that you, if, and not just you specifically, but if I'm a hardworking individual in the state of Maine and I don't have any other time and Sunday is the only time that I get an opportunity to still away where I'm, it's not interfering with family time and, or my work to be able to provide a life for my family. You know, maybe Sunday's the only time, right? So that's the only concern or negative concern that I have with not being able to allow people to hunt on Sunday. Cause like Cody said, and I would say without data, like if there was a list of private landowners and each one of those private landowners had to po or had to report whether or not their land is posted, then it becomes a, a you know, a numbers issue because if 80% of the private landowners in Maine have their land posted, then this is a moot point. There's, there's not people hunting, you know, on Sunday anyway, because people have their land posted because I'm with Cody as crazy as it may seem. If I own land in Maine and I almost did, I was right on the cusp of, of closing on a property there in Maine. It was a state and, property. He should have bought it. 
I know you're right. I absolutely should have probably bought that property, but I didn't. But I can tell you right now, if I was living in Maine at this point, my land would be posted based on where it was at and the fact that I would have a ton of people trespassing on that land in order to kill big whitetails. So that's my only concern on this is, is you know, it, it is generated in, in the whole blue laws. You know, we want to get people in church and, you know, it's kind of a, they're, they're a holdout. But I do understand that if the, if the, if I'm a Mainer, I am absolutely willing to give up that one day in order to hunt with the hunting opportunities that Maine does when it comes to private property. And I think that that's one really positive thing about Maine. Mm -hmm. And I love Maine and I love hunting in Maine. I have not killed a black bear in Maine, much like yourself, Robbie, but, um, Hallelujah. I'm the only one on this podcast that has. No, but that was really kind of a, a, yeah, lucky shot in the rain, lever action. Didn't know what I was shooting at. You heard the story. I killed a bear. Also, I'm the only one on this podcast that's only tried once to kill a bear in Maine. Well, you're right. I saw one bear. I let him. I let him go with my with my bow. I I, I passed on a on a 125, 135 pound. way around how small my bear was. I should have never said a word. Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to bring it. Up. But you, you just w- did. You want to? Oh, no, I thought you slung it over your shoulder to collide, to pull it out onto the road, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I didn't, Josh. <laughs> but uh, let me close with this, with my comments on that whole main Sunday thing. I thought the roundup with Erin was phenomenal, right? She had such great input on what's going on in Maine, not just the Sunday hunting, but just across a wide spectrum. So, you know, I think, I think she was a great addition to the pot, to the roundup leading into whether or not this thing was going to happen or not. So yeah, it was, it, it was good info. I'll say this. The one thing about Maine, and if you haven't listened to the, the, the podcast, please go back and listen to it with Judy Camuso. Judy Camuso is the commissioner of the wildlife and fisheries department of the state of Maine. One of three women in the country that are, is in charge of the wildlife resources of a specific state. Incredible individual, super passionate, um, and her story is even better because she used to be a vegetarian and a non-hunter, and became a hunter in the job as the wildlife director to then move into the position of the commissioner. Pretty impressive. Um, we have one more text message from Dave, uh, good old Dave, um, and he wanted to weigh in on his most impressive example of conservation. We talked about an article last week about the greatest success story of conservation. And on that, um, it was uh, turkey. So the turkey was in the article. I think uh, Aaron wanted, uh, agreed on the turkey. I felt like the white-tailed deer was probably more of an impressive uh, comeback story. I made the same. What do you think? I actually made the same argument on a conference call with Aaron and I on Monday morning on our call after the uh after i listened to the roundup i was like yeah it's the white-tailed deer but the turkey's really cool i love- wait, wait wait hold on before it goes any further i want to know was so was was the white-tailed deer aaron's first choice because in the roundup she said it wasn't my first choice but it was she agreed with right turkey. she 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 kind of she kind of agrees with the turkey and the turkey the, the thing about the turkey is there's a whole bunch of places that the turkey was completely extra, but that was gone, right? And, 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 and that's cool. But I think when you look at 
the conservation effort and especially on a private like on a private level the amount of things that american hunters especially i kind of the amount of money i've kind of right that is put behind a whitetail when private dollars like guys doing it on land they don't even own right like land they're Mm -hmm. leasing and the dollars that they pour into it i kind of put this I have this imaginary line. It's not imaginary, but there's a line that if you took the Kansas Colorado border and went all the way to Canada with that line and then all the way to Mexico, you know, where you would encompass most of Texas in there as well. Um, everyone east of that, th- there is a lot of people spending a lot of their hard earned dollars. I mean, not wealthy people that spend their money to create whitetail habitat. And, and luckily, that whitetail habitat, excuse me, even the whitetail food plots a lot of times pan out for turkeys, right? They, they, they work out for them. Um, but that, that's my argument. That I, I think the whitetail deer and the fact that, I mean, is it, a, is it a scientific fact, Robbie, or just an anecdotal fact that there's actually more whitetails now than there ever was? Like before, mm, I don't know. Like it's difficult to make that assertion. Yeah. It's, it's certainly more than there was in the 1910s. But who knows what the whitetail population was like? You know, you've I've, I've read that. And like, like I said, maybe it's just anecdotal. But but uh, and there's a ton of great conservation stories, including Dave's text, which I I, I like that Dave, Dave brings up a a species that you know more than half of way more than half of our listeners don't even know about the lake sturgeon in the Lake Winnebago system that Dave, Dave counters as a great conservation story, but there, there's so many um, in North America and the United States that, uh, but if you're going to, if you're going to put a crown on one, my argument is going to be for the whitetail. Although the Turkey is obviously incredibly amazing. Have I told you guys about my Turkey situation on my 40 acres here? Never please enlighten us. Never seen him. Uh, no, never seen him. Never got him on a trail cam except during turkey season. Like turkeys literally start root, and they're here now because we're just about ready to open up. Like I've never seen a turkey or heard a turkey or got a turkey. I, I have this is ridiculous to admit live to people, but I have 40 acres that I have nine trail cams on. All right. Um, Daryl's seen it. It's not your average 40 acres. It's, it's, it's rough. Um, to check all nine takes me about five hours. Um, but never, I've never gotten a turkey. Like I'm probably approaching 10,000 trail cam pictures in three years. Never gotten a turkey except during turkey season. They just fly in, smacked one second day of the season last year, called him in. Anyway, that's that's my turkey story. The, the turkeys are incredible, but I think the whitetails deserve the crown as the greatest conservation story in North America. What are the? Uh, don't you have Utah trail camera regulations now? Except that I'm in Colorado. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, how many beers? That would make sense. How many beers have you had? It's that raspberry ginger sour, man. It's just like it's potent stuff. Yeah, no. Anyway, Utah does have trail cam regulations and just reaffirmed it this week in another vote. Um, 
but that's not the state that I'm in. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the state that you're in in terms of news this week. Uh, we have two pieces of news that we'd like to talk about. It seems like um, the state of Colorado is not solely just interested in bringing wolves back, Cody. Seems like they want to bring another quote-unquote animal that has wolf in its name, the wolverine. Right. What the hell? Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I... So this was an article in the Colorado Sun. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is dusting off a plan to reintroduce wolverines. The last yeah, confirmed wolverine. wolverine in Colorado was in 2009. Here's what's really weird is like out of nowhere at the same time this article comes out, like Utah trapped one last week too. We, we didn't post that article, but Utah for like the first time in a long, long time um, caught and collared a wolverine. Here's the thing, I think it was 20, 2013 was the last time there was a wolverine in Utah or some track. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy amount of time. Does everyone's mind go to Red Dawn every time the word wolverine comes out, or is it just me? No, it's me, it's me too. Okay. It's me too. Let me, let me throw this out real quick because I know that one of you is going to probably dominate this conversation. But <laughs> a couple things with the, with the whole wolverine thing. So I was looking at the data, 250 to 625 wolverines, you know, roundabout in the lower 48 yeah not a lot cody when we were in arizona within two days i saw two wolverines in arizona no you didn't the hell we didn't there's there's no wolverines in arizona you want to bet i watched i watched two wolverines in northern arizona at two different days in on my hunt two years ago okay whoa whoa whoa. i thought and I'll need to do the research. I am expecting a wolverine to be more of a northern type animal, i.e. lives in cold winter type well, conditions. I had the Swarovski on this guy at 600 yards and watched him for 30 minutes. Wasn't a mangy coyote? It was not a mangy coyote. I know the difference between a wolverine and a coyote. There's probably like a... This podcast is going downhill if people are going like, these guys are crazy. Wolverines in Arizona. I mean, when I read that data, I was like, this, this has got to be wrong. And I don't know because I, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor like you. But there seems to be a little bit of odd numbers here on, on wolverines. That's just me. Amazingly reclusive animal. Like probably on a level, at, at least on par with anything else in, in, the, in, the, in North America reclusive-wise. I also say this that a lot of you and anyone out there that's doubting Daryl, there's probably like if my dad said he saw a Wolverine, zero doubt. If Daryl says he saw one, zero doubt. Not sure there's anybody else in the world I'd put in that category. Um, so supposedly Arizona historically supported Wolverines. Uh, they they pretty much had a very wide ranging historic distribution, but. Of those states, healthy wolverine populations inhabit Idaho and Montana and Washington and Oregon, where wolverines have been sighted. Well, look, I'm telling you right now, because I, I took a picture of an elk that, no joke, is in the exact same spot within 20 yards of where that wolverine Oh, uh, you know what you saw? I know what you saw. You didn't see a wolverine. Uh, I saw a wolverine. You saw a badger. You saw an American badger. 
It's about the same size as a Wolverine. As opposed to an Afghani badger? Like, what? why did you say American badger? <laughs> you, know, you, you might be right. You might be right. That, I just looked at it and I was like, what kind of badger? Dark, dark, dark badger, if it was a badger. But I'm telling you right now, it looked exactly like a Wolverine. Go ahead. I like Wolverines. I, 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 wish, there was, I wish there was more Wolverines. I do. But I think a lot of it's tied back to Red Dawn and how influential that movie was. Like when I was whatever, what were we like, thir 12, 13 when that movie came? The first Red, the second Red Dawn sucks, by the way. And I don't care if you're listening to this podcast and disagree, you're wrong. But the first Red Dawn, one of the classic movies of all times, and I prepared for it. I mean, I got ready for the Russians to attack at like 12 years old when Red Dawn came out. And that may be, I'm, I'm telling you, that may be why I have such an emotional attachment to the Wolverine. Also, though, you hear like crazy stories. Like, like there's a lot of people that claim a Wolverine will run uh, an Alaskan brown bear off of a kill and, and take it over from him. And to me, that's just a little badass. So I, I hope that there's more Wolverines. I just hope it's done in a, in a balanced way. Um, Colorado bringing – would you classify a wolverine as a mesopredator? Is that a medium predator? It's not an alpha predator? What's the classification mm -hmm. there? You, I don't know. You trap wolverines, and that's, that's going to be a problem mm -hmm. in Colorado, that if they bring them back and the population becomes successful, we can't trap here. But um, I don't know. I it's funny that Colorado wildlife, uh, parks and wildlife, have an extensive reintroduction plan already and was done in 2010. Yeah, but don't you think so, that's just scientists that sit around and don't have shit else to do? So in 2010, they're like, hey, let's – I don't – I didn't mean that. Like, I think the people in the field at CPW – it's just probably somebody sitting in an office that was like, what if I created a Wolverine reintroduction program? Yeah, it's probably somebody that's, in the, you know, the large carnival biologist at the time and the commission were talking about it and interest. Now that they just charged the, the biologist to come up with a reintroduction plan. Here's an interesting segue. Um, Colorado does consider wolverine an endangered species. Statewide, are they an ESA endangered species? Uh, given the numbers that Daryl quoted, I don't know. I'll do some digging quickly, but it doesn't say anything in this article about whether they are or not. But uh, we'll find out very quickly. But there is something else that just got listed on the ESA that is in Colorado. Which is our next article? Hold on, let me let me throw out a couple things. One, because I don't want Cody to come out to be the uh, the asshole here. So I looked up, you know, photos. They are not endangered. Badgers versus wolverines, and you can get a badger that's extremely dark. That's what threw me off because I was like, uh, man, that's there's no way that's a badger because it was extremely dark. But you're right. You're it, you're probably 100% correct that it was a badger, not a wolverine. That way Cody can sleep well at night knowing that I'm not quite the asshole that I am. I was going to sleep anyway. But, yeah, so the, the next article, it, can I get a little bit of props, Dr. Kroger, that I brought this up like four roundups ago that I saw this as an issue? Oh, I love it, man. We It was certainly an issue. The whole irony with Randy Newberg that – CPW no longer, as you said, is the final arbiter of wolf reintroductions now that wolves are relisted. 
this could be the greatest political fiasco involving wildlife in a long damn time because is everyone everyone that listens to this podcast probably knows that the northern rockies wolves are a dp or a dps uh is it dps designated population segment right like the northern distinct 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 sorry yes distinct population of wolves and that uh, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming fought hard for states' rights to manage the wolves. We now in Colorado have like the ultimate 180 flip of this, that the state of Colorado on a ballot measure voted to reintroduce wolves, but now seemingly possibly because wolves have been relisted the state no longer has the political stroke, the legal authority to reintroduce wolves without the kind of hominis dominus of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. This could get very, very interesting. So this article that is in the Post-Independence says CPW no longer final arbiter of wolf reintroduction after court relist species is endangered. So as Cody said, in the state of Colorado, like every other state except Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, the wolf is now relisted on ESA. Interesting, the subline on this article says, wildlife officials say the change doesn't derail reintroductions timeline, which is what Newberg said, you know, because this is going to be a special case, a special reintroduction, but it will be a big lift. And they have a photograph of the first gray wolf born and collared in Colorado, February 10th, 2022. Gonna be gonna be an interesting. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing. I mean, just straight politically, right? Like, typically conservative states' rights, anti-federal government people. Are you gonna argue? Are they gonna start? Our, I'll take the uh, I'll take the antagonist role here. Are Are they gonna argue that the state doesn't have any right to do this? which would be completely against their political principles prior to this um, because of the ESA. It's going to be, at a minimum, it's going to be a shit show soap opera for the next couple months in Colorado. Well, there are a couple of things that triggers, and this article goes through them. And so now that they want to uh, create um, wolves, they want to not create, they want to reintroduce wolves. And uh, so what they have to do is they have to, do a 10J ruling, just like Randy talked about, under the Endangered Species Act, designating those wolves as an experimental population, which gives the agencies more flexibility when trying to reestablish them. The only thing that people don't know about the 10J ruling is that now it has to go through a thing called NEPA. And NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act. It is a way to say that you're going to do something, you need to now address all of the potential ramifications associated with that environment with with that action which essentially is a very good thing because that now is being placed i would assume on top of the legislation cody if you remind me correct me if i'm wrong here but they had to do an economic analysis on reintroduction as well right on the impact on agriculture and whatnot so a nipa a NEPA document at this level, because it's going to be statewide Colorado NEPA, you, as the article says, and I and totally believe them because the world that I live in from a consulting job perspective, it's going to cost them between a half a million and a million dollars to to do that work. Um, so it's a really big deal, the NEPA process. And um, 
yeah, it's it's certainly a little twist and a little wrench in the whole whole scenario. Makes it uh makes it more interesting, for at least for the uh, from the outside looking in. Um, probably what it does is just complicates the shit out of CPW's world. Um, I don't think that anyone no out, anyone out there thinking that this is going to uh, prevent the wolf reinduction reintroduction. Um, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I don't think it will. Um, it's just going to complicate the shit out of it for CPW and make them uh, make them do a lot more work and spend a lot more money. Daryl, did you listen to that podcast with Dave Gittleson? I did, but look before. Let me throw this out. You know, on, on the article, the thing that 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 I took from because it's only a couple pages, like two and a half or three pages, I think, was the article. But um, is the timeline right? The timeline that that cpw has to go through in order to meet that january 2023 timeline right even with an expedited process like that doesn't come out until and i think even the article said it oh, 10 or 15 days or something like that right before it you know the actual reintroduction has to come into play and like cody said like um and i, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were but it was like a half a million or two million or something like that of money in order to get this whole process you know Oh, day. and NEPA is laborious. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not a month-long process. It's yeah, half a year to a year-long process. Is, is the timeline like these guys? The CPW is literally up against a minute-by-minute timeline in order to squeeze this thing through the door in order to meet that. And and I and I'm not smart enough to know on the California or the uh, Colorado uh, system and, and the reintroduction. But what set the pro the the date of January of twenty three? Like I, I don't know what that specifically was, but whoever wrote the bill, Humane Society of the United States, set that date, and that's why that's why as much as I believe in the democratic process, as much as I actually believe in ballot initiatives, um, there are cons to them, and it's not always a good idea. If you would have left the date off of that bill, and you would have left a number of wolves off that bill, but HSUS wrote it so that when it passed, they were completely restricted by a number of wolves they had to reintroduce as well as a date that it had to be finalized. So zero science on the number of wolves, zero logistical knowledge on the deadline passed, um, but CPW is still completely 100% legally obligated to pull that off because it was a ballot initiative. The people voted on it. Um, and I'm telling you, I believe in that process. I believe in the people speaking and being able to speak, but this was, this was a mistake um, and it was fouled up. And those are the two big foul ups, the deadline and the uh, population density of wolves. It's going to be interesting to, to see how this plays out for sure. Well, let's uh, let's come across the country. One of the things that I don't think got a lot of attention, it slipped under the radar, um, and but there was it was a, a pretty big win for hunting, was the expansion of black bear hunting in North Carolina. If you don't know, North Carolina is probably the state in the union right now. Pennsylvania, though, is pushing uh, back a little bit here, but. Is one is the state in the union where you could probably kill the biggest black bears uh, 
in 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 the US, and the reason being is that they have a lot of food on the ground. Uh, they don't hibernate, and so these bears just grow really, really big. Uh, Pennsylvania, though, has some pretty impressive bears on record, close to 700, 800-pound bears in Pennsylvania. But in North Carolina, the uh, bear hunting has been expanded in certain uh, they call it sanctuaries uh, on the on the article. I don't believe that these are true sanctuaries, but rather these are um, these are national forests, I believe, and uh, maybe even wildlife management areas that are now able to be bear hunted. Yeah, just uh, just there wasn't bear hunting prior. So the media decided they were bear sanctuaries. Two ways, Fair enough. Two ways to look at this deal, right? Like one is, oh no. And the other one is just a giant celebration that conservation worked and the bear numbers are back at an exceedingly high number in North Carolina. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I think it's just how you choose to look at it. I mean, this is this is sweet. It's sweet that the conservation worked. Bear numbers were way down in North Carolina. You know that was uh, that was uh, Daniel Boone's original stomping grounds before he came through and and uh, lived in a time and then for two hundred years after Daniel Boone, pretty much the bears were just annihilated for for everything until we developed a conservation program. And now the bear numbers are back to a sustainable, healthy number. This is a giant uh, celebration for us. 100%. Carver? Well, I've got some, so, so I lived in North Carolina for a little over seven years and it happens to be the only state that I actually have killed a bear. And I did this with hounds and First of all, let me just throw out with it when 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 it comes to the article, there's some things in the article, some statements from different, uh, you know, contributing interviews and whatnot that just strike me as, you know, just anti hunting and have nothing to do with the science and the data on the population of the bears and how it, you know, affects the 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 landscape. So you know, some 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 specific things, right? One of my favorite one is. Um, you know, bears to elude the packs of vicious dogs, right? One of the one of the ladies that that you know contributed to this article that that was her statement on there, and and it's funny because I remember, and I don't know if it was a roundup that Cody was talking about, where you know hunting with dogs is one of the hardest things that he's done. But I've hunted a lot of different animals my entire life, and I've been hunting for you know. 39, almost 40 years, you know, from squirrels as a, as a, as a young kid. And I'll tell you what, the hardest hunt I've ever been on in my entire life, hands down, no joke. And the one hunt where I had my ass kicked upside and down was my black bear hunt out of North Carolina. And it was with hounds and these guys and those dogs worked harder. And I, I mean, literally I was completely smoked down at the end of this hunt because of low crawling through briar patches and trying to get as close to these these this bear as I possibly could and you know the mm. houndsmen that we were with we, you know we passed on several bears cuz they weren't big enough 
or they weren't being mm-hmm. freed. And, you know, I mean, there was a, there was, you know, the, the houndsmen that I was with, you know, they made the decision. They didn't, I didn't say this was the bear that I want to take. You know, they, they literally, we kept passing on bears because of the size of the bear, the age of the bear and, and you know, so forth and so on. But my point of it is, is North Carolina has a lot of bears. That was the last duty station I was in, in the Marine Corps. And I would drive to work every morning at five 30 and, in a month, I'd see three or four black bears at different times on the road all the time. Like there is no shortage of black bears in the state of North Carolina. Now, specifically to these, you know, sanctuaries, I've trapped in, you know, all across North Carolina and done some, you know, some hunting over there. And and, and I agree with Cody. I think they're called sanctuaries because there wasn't a, you know, hunting in that location prior to, but it's not an actual sanctuary, like you said, Robbie. So yeah, I, I think this is a huge win for for not only North Carolina but the hunters that are there, and even the bears for that matter, because they do overpopulate some of those small tracts of land. I think it's good for 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 the animal and the uh, and the hunters both. The quotes from, makes sense. The quotes from the antis in this article are literally my my favorite points. Peter says that it needs to remind the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission that bears are not living targets for gun nuts and they can manage their own populations. Complete bullshit statement. Kitty Block, who you should know that name if you don't, she's the president and chief executive of of the Humane Society of the United States, says black bears are slow to reproduce and susceptible to overkill from both legal hunting and poaching except every piece of data in the entire United States says that's wrong, Kitty. There's zero data that says they're susceptible to shit that we try to do to control their populations. And then the the uh, article itself is just really, really... It's just a know, classic Guardian article. Yeah, no, 100%. And it, folks, if it just... Just Google on your own. If you're listening to this and you think that the black bear is in trouble, please do your own research. Don't believe me. Don't believe Dr. Kroger. The black bear population in the lower 48 is exploding. And then we continue to put restrictions on them, which can Colorado. I'm I'm telling you, I called the uh, wolf thing in Colorado. Here's a long-range forecast. Colorado is going to have to come back to allowing hounds or baiting for black bears in the next five years because the black bear population is exploding. And while not impossible, walking around and hoping to shoot a black bear is a very, 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 very difficult thing to do. It's hard. They're elusive. They, 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 they're, they're hard to find. And without the aids of tools that people have been using to hunt bears for thousands of years, it's very hard for uh, human beings to control the population. Well, it's funny you say about the black bear. You just We all just went through Washington. Unfortunately, probably the first fail of from a hunting perspective this year. We've had so many wins. And the potentially resurrected Washington spring black bear season got shut down five to four with the new commissioners coming on board. And the new commissioners pretty much stood by their decision that they believe they do not have adequate science to 
to demonstrate that they do have an adequate black bear population. Even though the spring bear population hunt was a 600 tag, 148 harvest number, they believed there was not enough science, the science was not good enough to demonstrate that they have a population between 25, 20 to 30,000 black bears in the state of Washington. It was uh, unfortunate, and I hate to say it, but could be precedent setting because California's decision makers are next uh, to the Humane Society's petition to not hold a black bear hunt because the data that the, the state uses, which is the same model of data that Washington State uses to determine a, a potential population estimate for the state for black bears, they questioned the validity of the science. Yeah. Time will tell. Which I, I, I don't know. It's uh, We got 10 minutes before you start getting cranky, but the, there's a, the, a, another one of our articles is, is this discussion about compassionate conversation, compassionate conservation, excuse me. And I'm, I'm going to make another prediction that there are, the first argument, first of all, the, the anti-hunters in the in the North American model specifically have lost the data argument. Okay, they've lost the science argument. They, I contend, they know that. They're aware mm -hmm. of that. Their first attack at that was to claim the science is bad, right? Like that's why wolves got put back on the ESA. That's that's how they're attacking bear hunting in California. That's why the grizzly bear population in the northern Rockies is not huntable and is not being managed because they attack the data and the data collections, which is kind of a crock of bullshit. There's a whole bunch of good people in wildlife agencies all over the country doing the absolute best possible job collecting that data, but whatever. Once, once they realize that's not going to work, their move is going to be this compassionate conservation or the conservation of the individual animal is just as important as the conservation of the species, of the population mm -hmm. of the entire species. That will be, we're gonna, you're going to start to see more and more of that. About a year ago, I told you that you're going to start seeing attacks on the mountain lion because they realize they've lost the wolf. Now, they got this ESA thing on the wolf. It's not going to last, okay? But they, they realize that the wolf is not their, their, their money tree anymore, and they're going to try and make the mountain lion their money tree. They also realize that they've lost the data. Like, no shit, the facts and the science are on the side of people managing wildlife for the, for the better of the species. Um, and once they realize they've lost that compassionate conservation, there'll be a, I'll make sure that the link to this article of, on compassionate conversation makes it to the conservation, excuse me. It's on a website called the Conser the conversation. That's right. Um, but I'll make sure that link makes it in the newsletter. Um, if you ever want to read any of these articles, folks, you go to Blood Origins, um, hang out on our, our website, bloodorigins.org, for a couple of seconds, and a newsletter sign-up will pop up. We'll only send you one email every two weeks, and it's basically uh, what's going on at Blood Origins, as well as links to these articles that we talk about on the Roundup. But 
compassionate conservation is going to be the next battle that we should care about the individual of the speed. Very, very progressive thing to do um, that we should prioritize the individual as much or more than the population. Yeah. So to summarize, um, there's two paragraphs in this article that really stand out and it, it sort of captures what this whole thought process thought pattern is and that's this compassionate conservationists ask whether it's ethical to harm and kill animals to preserve others main point they believe ecosystem species and individual animals all have significant intrinsic value traditional conservationists have reacted strongly to the criticism and generally argue the movement is dangerous because it ignores certain bad consequences animals can cause, i.e. too many animals not self uh, sort of regulating themselves. We've seen that with the wild horse. We've seen that with feral cats. The wild horse is a huge issue here in the West. Obviously, we all know about it. It's a huge issue in Australia, the Brumbies. Um, And some of the most outspoken cricketers even say it isn't real conservation or science, which is then where the whole social side of science comes in now, right? And there's something to be said about the social value, but there's also something to be said that the social value doesn't drive, from a compassion perspective, the idea of how to manage these species. Like it's, it's, it, 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 uh, I don't know if it confuses me or it just pisses me off. Like we, we literally now, both in Washington, um, and then when you go back to the BC grizzly bear, both of the decision in, in both of those examples, the Washington black bear hunt and the British Columbia grizzly hunt, um, British Columbia, yeah, the British Columbia grizzly hunt, the decision makers kind of had to admit that the science and data was pro continuing the hunt, but they used social values to eliminate the hunt. And people didn't want it anymore. That's uh what the fuck? I mean that that's just ignoring science for the sake of the people that the 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 thousand people that emailed us, the majority of them were against it. And so we ignore science. That that's what happened right there, and and that's what compassionate conservation is: is ignore the science. We care more about Cecil than we do there being lions in Africa in fifty years. That's compassionate mm-hmm. conservation, and mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't bode well for uh, wildlife. Carver, final thoughts. Yeah, my final thought is is uh, this article. I literally read it, and all I and I even wrote it down in my notes. Here, watch. I'll even prove it to you. All I put was "Wow," right? And the reason why is is I felt like while I was reading the article, it was I was six years old arguing with my brother, my older brother, and we were yelling, and he kept saying, "I know you are, but what am I?" Right? Like there was absolutely no data or science to this article whatsoever. And it all had to do with, because I can guarantee you anybody who thinks about compassionate conservation is not trying to raise their family on a farm and provide for the livelihood of their people while pigs are destroying all their crops, right? Like there is nobody that wrote or, 
or contributed to this compassionate conservation that currently is dealing with an invasive species, period, for their livelihood. And and that's like I, I'm with Cody. I was like, what the fuck is this about? That's that's that was the only thing that came out of this article for me. Clearly, I'm not as smart as, as the two of you are, but that's that's the big question mark that came out of, of that article for me. I was just blown away. You say that, you, you say that, what the fuck, just like I did, but I'm telling you, they said it out loud on the record that that's why Washington State is not having a black bear hunt. And they said it out loud on the record that that's why British Columbia doesn't have it. That no one made any claims that the black bear population was hurting from hunting in, in Washington, n- n- not, not legitimate claims. And no one made any scientific legitimate claims that the BC grizzly bear population was doing anything but benefiting from hunting. Um, it was compassionate conservation and uh, social values of the whatever thousand people that filled out the online ballot. Um, if nothing else, it ought to rile hunters up to be a part of filling out that online discussion and getting involved in the comments. Well, gentlemen, Cody, I'm proud of you. Uh, we got through four articles um, instead of being derailed. So uh, you're back on track. Welcome back. Daryl Carver, thank you for coming off the bench. Um, hey, this is the 50th well, roundup. Uh, 50th roundup. Wowza. Holy smokes, Daryl Carver, we needed you back on the 50th. I, clearly, anybody who's listening to this is probably thinking, who is this clown? So you don't need me. <laughs> he doesn't know the difference well, we, between a badger and a wolverine. <laughs> Look, man, uh, that's why what friends are for. Six two, what friends are for. Quick Google search. 620-860-4804 if you want to text and argue back with anything that Daryl or Robbie said. Or you can email us at info at bloodorigins.com. Um, we got hats and shirts. Go buy them. Our supporters. Club. No hats. No hats. We should have it. Like, look at this hat. I know. We we have shirts. Go buy them. Um, our supporters club, man, we'd love um you to back us up there. Where we uh, would we, we promise you that we'll never sell out to a corporation and become anyone else guiding our speech. Um, our message, but the only way we can do that is with if uh, you guys out there give us the cost of a cup of coffee a month to keep the wheels turning. Um, so go to bloodorigins.org. Venti, venti size coffee? Venti. A venti. A venti. Not yeah. at Starbucks. You don't have to give that damn much. Yeah. All right. Yep. Robbie, what, uh, Robbie how often do you have Starbucks, honestly? Oh, uh, when I travel, I have Starbucks. Yeah, because it's in the airport. I'm in the airport like five thirty in the morning. There's a Starbucks. I'm going to get a Starbucks. When you're at your Cal house, Macchiato, when you're at home, extra shot. When you're at home, not traveling, what's the coffee ritual in the morning? As dark a roast as I can find. Are you like black? Are you like pressing it and you're grinding the beans and? Mm, I grind the beans. Yeah, so I'll go. F- get some good dark roast beans and I'll grind them to a nice grind size and then I'll Keurig it. Keurig dark roast. Perfect. All right. Is a good dark roast coming. It's called Black Death by Dog and Gun Coffee. Two months out. Sweet. 
we, if we come off the bench, do we get a bag of that? Like, can I can I get a bag of that? Yeah, sure. No problems. Anything you need. If you come yeah, off the bench, we'll get you whatever you want. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail, baby. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.